Have you ever been disorientated? You know, or you, uh, or, or you go in to see a movie and it's a long movie and you come out and you can't, forget, you can't remember where you parked your car? No one's, is that just me? Or uh, you go to the beach and um, you settle your stuff up on the beach and you find a lovely little spot and, I don't know, you might take an umbrella and play out your towel and then you go and jump in the water and you're having to swim and then all of a sudden you, you look for where your stuff is and you can't find it and you realise that the, whatever landmarks you used as your point of reference aren't there either and you realise you've drifted with the current down the beach. I, I remember we went out when we were kids, we went to a place called Yapoon. Yapoon is a little bit south of Rockhampton and we were on a beach and the beach, when it's low tide, you have to run out a long way because it's very, very flat. And we were swimming and having a ton of fun and my parents always had this rule, just make sure you can see us on the beach and we'll be fine. And, and at one point in time, I think we got distracted for a while and we looked up and we're like, where's our parents? Of course, then you realise that they're up, way up the distance, yelling, waving their hands, and you have to get out of the water and walk all the way up the beach. And then you get back in the water and you have the same problem. I found that life can be like that. Uh, our reality of understanding that uh, we have moved in the relative the understanding of our starting point can happen. It can happen in a lot of different things. Now, this is my last message of this series, Weird. And we're taking values as our subject. And, and then I'm starting a new series uh, called From, By and To. And then we'll do Father's Day and then we'll get back to that series. Uh, but as we talk about this, it's important to understand that sometimes we can become disorientated or we can lose track of where we're supposed to be because we don't have a point of reference. Now, we need a point of reference. We need it. We need a point of reference to measure ourselves against, to know if we have moved away from it or we are close to it. We need that fixed point. Now, I've got a demonstration coming up, and I'll have my lovely assistant, who has no idea what's going on, to come up soon. But as a Christian, as a believer, Jesus is supposed to be our fixed point, our point of reference. It's important to understand that it wasn't Jesus' death that saved you. It was his life. It was his sinless life of Jesus right, that gave, uh, gave the power to the cross. Otherwise, it would have just been a man dying on the cross. But it was his sinless life that actually gave the power to him being on the cross that actually gave us salvation. Now we need that point of understanding and we need to understand the life of Jesus and we need to understand that he is our point of reference because no matter what we go through in life, we need to understand how far we are from that point. We need to understand if we've drifted away or if we are near and close. And you'll find in life there'll be different things will take place. You'll go through different situations. You might even travel to another country and you have to find out, you have to work out how far you weigh from your fixed point of reference. I know going through life myself, there have been different times when I've had to reevaluate how far I am 
If I've drifted away, if I've done something, if I've changed habits, if I've created new avenues of my life that have caused me to drift away. It's like kids, right? You can always tell when your kids make new friends because they come home acting a little bit different. And they need to be reminded, hey, hey, this is not the way we behave. We've had situations when our, our kids have spent time at their grandparents and they come home a little bit different. And you're like, yeah, buddy, you don't get that spoiled in this house. You need to realize where you are at. We need to recalibrate where you think you are. They come home because they just get spoiled rotten, right? We go to grandparents' place. What did you have for lunch? McDonald's. What did you have for dinner? Hungry Jerks. What did you have for breakfast? Then we went back to McDonald's. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah, not in this house. And we got to reevaluate our kids and bring them back in line. Sometimes, you know, whoosh, has to happen a little bit, depending on how you deal with that. But it's understanding that Jesus is our fixed point and we go through different things in our lives and we need to always go back to that reference point and work out how far we are and if we need to make adjustments. Now it's like, I'll do this demonstration. You want to stand up? It's okay. You're a beautiful fixed point. <laughs> you're my fixed point, okay. right? So as you go through life, you're my reference point. You're my reference of Jesus, okay? I think it's fitting, isn't it? Right? You might go through different things of life. You might go through struggles and whatever, and you might drift. Maybe you make a new friend. Maybe you get a new job, and the job is not full of believers and Christians, which is what we all want, but sometimes you don't want that because you realize it. Anyway. And you get to that point, and, and you start drifting, or maybe you watch something and whatever else, and if you don't understand how, where your reference point is, you don't understand how far you've drifted. Now, here's the problem with the world, right? They don't have that reference point. They don't accept Jesus. They don't understand the Bible. And if you ask them, what is your moral compass? What is the way you address your morality? They won't be able to give you an answer. It's based upon emotions. It's based upon... Um, a misunderstanding of what equality is or, or anything like that. So it's like, oh, why are we allowing this? Oh, because they're people and they want to do this and they emotions it. And so sooner or later, what we're actually doing is we're taking, I'll just move this so we don't have any accents, we're actually walking in this way where my fixed point is actually coming with me because it's not a fixed point, it's my reference point of my emotions. And I take my emotions with me. This is where it becomes dangerous. You can go back to your fixed point, Dylan. And so if I have a fixed point, I have a reference point to know how far I've gone. I can, use, I can go through a situation and sometimes my emotions will arise and I'll, I'll get emotional. Me so much, right? I'll get emotional and maybe I'll drift and, and I'll let things cause me to, to go down certain paths. But if I have that point of reference, I know how far I need to come back. But if I don't acknowledge my reference point, if I don't acknowledge that Jesus is my reference point, that his life, right, and this is why it's powerful to understand that his life is what saved me, but I don't understand the importance of his life and the way he lived, which is supposed to be my reference point, then I don't actually have the right reference point. And so I don't know how far I've drifted. But if I know that reference point, if I have that reference point in my life, and I, and I get used to being near it, yeah, right, <laughs> thanks, you can sit down now. If I know that reference point, if I, later, yeah, 
<laughs> if I get used to that reference point, if I want to be near that reference point, right, I'm going to stick close, right? And every time I turn my back, every time I'm like, oh, oh what's over there? Oh, oh no, I've got to come back here. Because this is where the reference point, this is where Jesus in your life actually becomes important, right? And we're supposed to read the word in order to understand Jesus' life so we understand the reference point. But if we don't know the reference point, how do we know how far we have drifted? And it's so easy to get caught up in the things in the world. It's so easy to go with the things in the world because the way they sell it is so nice. We're supposed to care about everybody's feelings, right? But hang on, hang on. We have morality. And if we don't have a reference point, how do we determine what morality is? How do we know in society if we've gone down the garden path or whether we've stayed on the true path? You can't move with your emotions or be based upon your emotions and not worry about a reference point and everyone is just going to be happy. It's just not realistic. This is why Jesus came to the earth to set the example to be a reference point. To go, hey, follow me. This is why he said to his disciples, come follow me. Let me, be, let me teach you to be fishers of men. Let me be your reference point so you will, wherever you go in life, you will always, always know where you should be. And when you walk away, you can come back. We need Jesus to be our fixed point. We need him to, so we can have our lifestyles in order so we can see God do what he needs to do through us. And without that fixed point, we're just going to get ourselves in a load of trouble. We're just going to get into trouble. And then we're going to wonder at some point in time, where on earth did we go wrong? Because I left that fixed point. But the good thing is, even if you go down the garden path, even if you walk down the wrong way, even if you get emotional, you get distracted, if life takes massive amounts of turns, you will always have that reference point. And you can always come back. The world decided, in a, in a, in a corporate concept, that Jesus is not their fixed point. And so they drift just like at the beach, they drift down the beach with the currents of society. What is popable? What is po popular? Popable. It's a new word. It's in the book of Peter. Um, it's popular, right? What, what's, I mean, that's what, that's what politicians do. They, they go down the lines that gets them the votes. They don't decide on what is best for the society. They, get, they make decisions on what's going to get them votes. Like, I had to laugh. This is my opinion, okay? This is, I had to laugh, right? So if you didn't know much, Matildas have done very well. That's the female soccer team in the Australian World Cup, okay? They finished fourth, unfortunately. Though they did a brilliant job. And our PMC is an opportunity. He goes, oh, we're going to support female, uh, young girls' soccer in Australia, and we're going to give $200 million. $200 million is like a drop in the ocean when you come to Australia, okay? Why do you have to wait to the Australian Olymp Australia soccer team, female soccer team, actually does well before you move on something. Why do we always have to do that? Why do we have to wait for, oh, now opportunity. Why? Because it's popular. Because right now, all of Australia is behind the Matildas and we want votes, so boom, we go in. That should have been done anyway. Like finances should be given to certain different avenues to help us in different avenues to be better than what we are. 
It makes me laugh when we went, it's like, oh, I don't know if I should open this can of worms. It's like our state government, you know. We're going to give everybody, uh, depending on where you are, $500 to your electricity bill. But we're going to raise it up another 35%. It's like from one hand I'm going <laughs> to give you something, from another hand I'm going to take something. Now we, we'll forget about the, um, all the other scandals that are going on. But here, here's a bit of distraction. But if we have this fixed point, if we understand where we're supposed to be and I'm determining where I'm making decisions based upon that fixed point, it doesn't matter what happens, I'm not going to be swayed. We need that level of morality, especially today. We as Christians, we have that fixed point. He's our saviour. He's Jesus Christ. Through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, showed us the way to follow, showed us the way to walk, showed us the direction. It's where we can measure ourselves against. Do I measure up? You go to America and they have this big thing called the reflection pond, right? It's in front of the Lincoln Memorial. And what you're supposed to do is, it's it's called the reflection pond because you're supposed to look in at one angle to see if you measure up to what has gone before you to the forefathers who've gone before you. And it just happens that the other end is the Lincoln Memorial. Do you measure up to those who've gone before you? Do we measure up to Jesus who's gone before us? And if we fall short, and, and Romans 6 says, talks about it, says we all fall short of the glory of God, this is when it reminds us that we are in need of Jesus. We are in need of what he's done. We are in need of his example. We're in need of the Holy Spirit to empower us to actually walk in that way. See, we can make Jesus into our own image. We can cause him to look like the way we want. We can you know, cut and paste our Bibles. We take out the bits we want and we forget the other bits. We can cause Christianity to be any way we so want. So it eases our inability to judge ourselves or determine whether or not we measure up. I like reading the whole Bible. I read it multiple times in a year. And I like to it because I like to read every single bit. I don't like to leave one single bit. I even like the boring bits, you know, where this person begot this person and this person begot this person, right? All the fun bits in Chronicles, right? The first 10 chapters of, oh my gosh, Chronicles. Or Leviticus where it starts talking about, and this thing was six cubits long and it was this long and this one, right? I like those bits. And the reason why I like them is because it reminds me I don't have to do those things anymore. I don't have to go to the, to the temple and, and sacrifice a lamb for my sins because the lamb has already been sacrificed for my sins. I don't have to, when I read the, the, the interesting genealogies, I read them in the context that every single person is important. When I read all the stories of the people where God interacted with the different people in the Bible, it reminds me that my God still loves me, that my God will move through mountains, that my God can deal with certain things that ever comes along my way. But it also reminds me that I need to make sure that I measure up. That I need to check myself. I mean, that's the reason why there are four Gospels of Jesus' life. 
Because it's to remind us on a constant basis, do we measure up? Are my values his values? And if they're not, then I need to make some adjustments. But the world drifts with the current, drifts with feelings and emotions, drifts with what they call quality. And if I get stuck in that, I too will be drifting down the beach and lose sight of where I should be. Romans 12, 1-2. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. This is Paul writing, right? To present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. That's what we are called to do. To present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is our spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world. Do not get in the current of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Is our, our role not to be perfect because we never will be, right? And our ability to show ourselves as holy and living sacrifice is based upon Jesus in us or Jesus's life is our example the Holy Spirit working in us it's so when we are walking in the right direction when we are walking near him when we are being transformed by the renewing of mind changing the thinking of this right changing this constantly by reading the word of God I can what prove the will of God. You know what the will of God is? His son. That Jesus died, sorry, he lived, he died and was resurrected for each and every one of us as the perfect and living sacrifice. And it's because of his example, because of what he did, that he is able to then move in us through his spirit, transform us and bring us into all things. We will never be perfect until the day we walk into eternity or step into eternity, or float, depending on how you see it. right? But it's not about you being perfect, it's about being you being in perfection, which is Christ, his example, following after his way. Paul writes, this is the author of Romans, right? And Paul writes probably, I think it's about 65 to 80% of the, the New Testament. And he's writing in this way. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be in the currents of this world. Have Jesus as your reference point. I mean, the word comforting or conforming is like fashioning. It's like you're being fashioned. Not fashion as you wear fashion, but fashioned. Like you fashion something. It's, it gives the picture of the potter and the clay. God's the potter and he puts on, I don't know if you've done clay work, but I, I've done a bit of clay work and you, clay, you jump, throw some clay in the middle of the, the spinning wheel and you, you start spinning it. If you overspin it, the clay goes everywhere. If you underspin it, you get nowhere and you've got to make sure that the clay is wet enough to be moldable and it's all the whole process of all this science of getting it right. It's lots and lots of fun if you get all the water on there and you make sure your clay is really wet and then you put the foot down. And clay goes all over the wall. That's so much fun. Of course, you might wear it too. But it's, it's that 
picture of fashioning the clay into a, into a pot, fashioning the clay into whatever it's supposed to be. But the clay doesn't choose what it's supposed to be. The, the potter does. And when we are being, being transformed by the renewing of mind, what we're actually doing is we're allowing God to shape us. God to change us. Because there are things in my life that I want God to change, but he's busy changing something else in me. But he might be changing in something in you that he's not changing in me yet. And he might be dealing with something else in you next week. This week is something... And so what God is actually moving is he's shaping us in the way according to his will, according to his pattern that he originally had for us. And we don't get to decide what is being worked on. All we get to do is, yes, God. And this is where Paul's trying to get to. He's trying to get us to a point where we are open to hearing what God needs to say and what God needs to work in us. But I can assure you that the more you allow God to work in you, the more you are open to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the more we actually put into the effort of actually understanding that the life of Jesus is actually what saved us, and that's the important bit, and that we need to get back to our reference point, the more he can shape you into how you're supposed to be. And there's a reason why. Because God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And our ways of doing it are not his ways. For the heavens are higher than the earth, and so the ways, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And what God is doing is he's going, hey, you come to me, you let me work in you, and I will bring you to a point where you, my ways are your ways, my thoughts are your thoughts. But it has to be to a point where you are coming to surrender. Which is hard. Because... It costs you. It will cost you who you think you are. And when you go through life and when you've had lots of experiences, you begin to form an image of yourself based upon what's happened. And oftentimes our image that we've formed is actually a lie. It's not actually according to what God's will is. Because what the enemy does is when he begins to work or tries to niggle and naggle, you have to understand he can't touch you, he can't take you out. Okay? And the only authority he has is what we give him, and generally it's the whispers that he says. So we go through experiences and we go through different things, and God, uh, the enemy is working on different people around us to open up different oars and then take place in our lives, and we go through those things and they harm us, and they hurt us, and they make us change, and they, they cause us to think things differently. And then when we come to that place where we come to the salvation, what we're actually doing is we're fighting the ex previous experiences and the lies that we have adapted to our own life. And God is saying, no, 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 it's truth that will set you free. And what he's actually setting us free from is our past. It's the lies. It's the misimage that we have actually created in ourselves. God has to undo that. And sometimes the, the best way to... I miss scriptures. The best... Technology. All right, don't worry about that one. I love technology. It's one of those things that works and doesn't work. Anyway. But the more we allow him to move in us, the more he will undo what we've actually done. 
This is why it's such a phenomenal blessing if your kids never actually walk away from God, never experience certain things that you are able to... Now, I'm not saying put them in a bubble, okay? Because I don't support that. But allowing them to walk through certain things and allowing them to experience certain things but not other things. Not giving them a, a blank check and a free will just to go stupid. There's certain things that I experience in my life that I do not want my kids to experience, not because I'm a mean person, but because I want to save them from the hassle of having to undo it. Like I put myself in a situation because I drifted with the current of the world and thought that was cool, or I thought that was awesome, and that was just what was relevant in that point in time, and I listened to my emotions rather than what I should have been doing in understanding my reference point, and I got myself into experiences that hurt me. And I understand those sort of pains, but the process back was difficult because I had to trust God and allow Him to do the things that He needed to do. And sometimes what He needs to do is, is painful because it's what strips you from the previous experience or the, the past experience of what you've been through. Now, I'm blessed because I have a, a godly wife right, who loves me, who, is, who never experienced half the stuff I did. And so when we sit down with our, our kids, we, we get the blessing of, of sharing both experiences. Some of the experiences we haven't even started to share with them because they're not ready for it. But my wife can, uh, can talk about all the good things. You know, this is what, if you just stay with God and you build that relationship and you get to experience the blessings and the favor of God and all these good things, and I can go, and if you're stupid like me and you walk away and you get yourself into trouble and you do the wrong things, it's a long, hard road back. It's not that God won't take you back, it's not that you can't make your way back, it's just long, hard. And God can still bring you back to that place where you are walking His will according to what He needs to do in your life. I am way off my nose. Because God is God of the impossible, but you save yourself the heartache of moving from Him. And the closer you can stay with Him, and the closer you can spend and be with Him, the, closer that you, oh, the less chance of moving away from Him, which means the less chances of experience what you shouldn't be experiencing and the less he has to undo. God is a gracious God, and he loves you where you're at. And he waits with beck and hand, with open hands, just like the story of the prodigal son, that he'll welcome you back like a son or a daughter. But if you, if you grab hold of his life, if you grab hold of his values, what he values, and you value them, you save yourself a whole bunch of hurt. You save yourself a whole bunch of scars. You save yourself a whole bunch of hassles. Because the journey back hurt. It hurt. Like I had some things in there that were just, that hurt. Okay? There's rejection. I had problems with authority. Like massive problems with authority. So what does God do? God puts me, against, puts me under somebody who, who, who doesn't take rubbish. And there were times that you know, in my stupidity and my innocence of I'd get in trouble, I'd do something and I was just out of line and out of love I was being corrected. But correction sucks. 
Okay? Correction is never nice, but because he loved me, because I had a father who loved me, I was sitting there going, God, why is this happening? Why is this happening? God was like, just trust me. Just trust me. Like, I can give you scriptures. There was one time, one time I was, I, I was being chastised. Right? And I was sitting there praying. I had my Bible open. I was sitting there going, what are you doing? Because this, this is not right. This is wrong. I like, I'd worked in different places. And God opened up a passage of Scripture to me and He showed me this passage. And it's sort of like, at the point in time, it was like being hit across the head with a, a 4 b 2 and going, wake up, boy. And in Proverbs 13, 1, it says, A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And God said, what are you? Are you a son or are you a scoffer? Are you a son or are you a scoffer? Are you someone who's going to listen or are you someone who's going to think you know better? I was like, yeah, I want to be I want to be a son. That's the whole point of being saved, so I can be a son in the house, a son, a son of the living God, and and I can get to know you. Then receive the rebuke. Take it on, deal with it, and let go everything that's connected to it that shouldn't be connected to. Because inside of me, what was standing up, what was raging, was my previous experience. I had been rejected by male figures in my life I had been rejected by authority figures and I so as soon as someone actually cares about me someone who actually showed to me the bit of little love I'm sitting there going standing on this whole independent spirit thing oh yeah I'm tough I don't need anyone who's this person to, to tell me off and God said, no, no, you need to understand because this, the spirit of the son that you can actually receive compared to a spirit of illegitimate is completely different and I needed that spirit of son because when, when you're a son in the house, when you're a son under the living God, God looks after you like a child. And he goes, you're my beloved. You're my son. I love you. And I'm going to direct you. I'm going to bring you on blessing. And, and, and the closer you get, because the closer you get to your reference point and the closer you stay to your reference point is the more that God can walk with you and take you to places. Because what begins to establish is a thing called trust. See, if I keep letting my kids do whatever they want, right, what happens? Broken trust. If I let my kids go to the park, and sometimes they're often allowed to go to the park and they play and whatever else, and we say, this is the time you need to be home. You know, when I was a kid, it was when the street lights turned on. Yeah, this is the time you need to be home. And they stay out all night. Well, the next time I'm hesitant in letting them out, I don't know. It's the same thing with God. If I, if I wander, then, oh, I'm coming back. I'll wander. We play this, this game of cat and mouse. God is less likely to entrust me to do the things that I need to do. And if we stay closer, if we develop that uniqueness where we are close all the time, and we may drift, and we may wander, but we stay this very close God is able to entrust me. He is able to enable me to do what I need to do. Enable to me to fulfill the purpose that I have on this earth. And when I drift, He can bring me back out of love. There might be some correction. And then we need to rebuild trust. Because this is the same thing, right? It's not rocket science. It's how we are supposed to treat our kids exactly how God treats us. This whole process of building and developing trust. Like we're teaching our kids to make decisions. Now their decisions are very small. 
But sooner or later, when they get to, oh, I don't know, 18 or whatever, and they decide to move out of home, right? we will always, always love them. We will always have a place for them. It may be, well, I already got plans for their rooms. <laughs> anyway, um, they'll always be able to come back. But if they drift and they do things that, aren't supposed to then the trust becomes broken it's like if, if your child has this habit of taking your car and crashing it you're less likely to go here yeah take my car it's the same thing and so what we're actually doing in our life is we're building trust and the closer we can stay with him and then we can fulfill because it's not my see this is, it's not my rules I don't make the rules right I have no authority over you no authority the only authority that I have is the word of God Right? I have no right to, to say anything. I have, cannot command you to do anything. I cannot make you do anything. I have no authority over you. And the only reason why you hear you is because you either feel this is the church you're called to, either you feel this is the place you're supposed to be, God's called you, or you, you turned up for some weird reason, or you like me and you, you, want, to be, you want me to be a pastor. Or Mel, Mel, maybe it's Mel. You like Mel and you want Mel to be a pastor. And that I understand. Okay? But I have no authority. I can't make you do anything. It's not my rules. This is God. And the closer we get to Him, the closer we not just get to Him, but stay with Him, the more trust is built and developed. And the more you walk in the purposes of God because you're near Him and you can hear Him. Because it's really hard to hear God when you are way, way, way down here. Oh yeah, God told me that. No, He didn't. You felt like that. You know how many people have told me God told me? There's ways to work out whether or not God told you. It's this. God doesn't say anything that's not written in His Word. Not in an aligning with His Word. This is your reference point. This is Jesus. Jesus is our reference point. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know your reference point, if you're far from your reference point, and you want to get back to that reference point, you know you need to get back to that reference point, then I invite you to make Jesus your reference point. It's fine. I invite you, and I will be down the front, and I will lead you back to that reference point. But if you know, you know that you want to be nearer to that reference point you want you want to fulfill what you put on this earth to do you want to know Jesus to another level you want to be trusted more you want to walk in all the things right and we're all on the same journey trying to get closer to God trying to understand that reference point trying to understand how we do things better then what we're going to do is we're going to pray together maybe if you need to know that reference point I'll be down the front if you want to get to that point where that is your reference point or that be your reference point more often, then we're going to pray together. How about everyone just stand? That'd be easier. We're going we're gonna to close the meeting with prayer. we got um, this tea and coffee. There's a light lunch. Lots of people brought bits and pieces over there. Remember to get your children. Um, we have baptisms this afternoon. If you don't know what a baptism is about, come, you'll experience it. Just come to our place. If you don't know where we live, we can get a dress from myself and Melinda. You're falling for me again, are you? 
Um, well, we're going to have a great time this afternoon just celebrating with people and, and, and uh, celebrating their milestone in their life. We're going to pray and we're going to close the meeting. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a loving and gracious God. That you set in our lives a reference point. And no matter what happens, that reference point is always, always there. That we can walk away, but we can always come back. But Father, I thank you for the inner desire to not drift to want to stay close, to build that trust with you, to build and develop that relationship. And Father, I speak your mighty hand upon every person in this place and in a desire and in a hunger and a thirst to be near you, to know you, to be with you, to walk in the fullness of what you have for us. Father, I speak your mighty hand upon each and every one of us, blessings and favor, your covering and your protection. Father, I bless what will happen this afternoon in water baptism and life group. Father, let it be a powerful time as we share the external of what is happening in the internal. So Father, we speak a blessing upon your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.